Blimey, I thought I smelled cabbage. Hello, my name is Will, and if you don't already know, you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, in the 1960s, there was a huge boom in spy films. Powered by the popularity of the James Bond films, Hollywood producers started cranking out movies which sought to ape its blend of dynamic action, exotic, colourful locations and alluring women. These films became the inspiration for Mike Myers' spy spoof parody, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. The film's gimmick involved the hero being reawakened in the future where his anachronistic social attitudes provide an element of comedy. And talking of people with laughably outdated views, with me once again is my good friend Dara. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, baby! Do I make you horny? I knew that is exactly where you were going to go. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you? With the kind of inevitable predictability of Austin Powers himself, you've just gone for the most obvious gag. Cheap, obvious gag, and much like uh, this uh, franchise. <laughs> Well, I am. I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. It's been, it's been a little while since we we had a chat. The uh, contract negotiations have finally been concluded, and you have rather resentfully decided to come back for more. Well, you know, I have a um, Russian wife that I need to send money to. Um, it's a part of my life I don't want to talk about. But yeah, money money talks, and you've you've come up with the goods. But uh, we're here talking about another comedy, and it made me wonder what kind of, uh, you know, what is your taste in uh, comedy? What is your taste in humour, Dara, generally? I I wouldn't say I'm uh, a a snob when it comes to comedy. I tend to shy away from the kind of broader stuff. However, if if I had to say pinnacle for me, and I can go back to it time and time again, I would say something like Alan Partridge, because the scripts and the character 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 <laughs> the scripts and the caricaturing that um, Steve Coogan does is perfection I absolutely love uh, Alan Partridge like uh, things like day to day as well brass eye thick of it that kind of stuff so some satirical things you're not a fan of Michael McIntyre then I'm guessing not really my boat Michael McIntyre um, he's very popular and he he does his thing very well but it's not for me and in terms of uh, Alan Partridge, he's a character that's been sort of going for 25 years now. Of the different eras of Alan Partridge, what is your favourite? Like, you know, from Mid Morning Matters being the most recent, yeah. all the way back to um, day to day era, I guess. Well, he's, um, you know, is a is a funny one because there was a time when he was going through Steve Coogan was maybe sort of lacking a little bit of inspiration. I remember going to see him live. I don't remember. Um, you may have even been there, Will. We saw him at the Brighton Centre where Steve Coogan was uh, performing live and doing his his other characters, his less successful characters, we should say, and Alan Partridge. And the Alan Partridge bit just about held muster. I think he was going through different writers. Wasn't as funny. It's still quite funny, but not as funny as he could be. And then he's, um, I think he's really hit pay dirt with the new, he's got, um, I think, uh, a, a writing duo. They're brothers, um, mm. Neil Gibbons, uh, who's who's written some of the uh, Mid-Morning Matters stuff, the new stuff that's come out, and did the Alan Partridge film, which was, I was really worried that it was going to be terrible, but end up being actually really funny. It was really uh, good. It was really good at university. I think it people is a it's an English institution, at Alan Partridge, and we thought you know the typical thing where you make a movie out of a popular comedy series, it would just bury itself under the weight of expectation. But it was really funny. The mid morning matter stuff that's come out is 
is really, really funny as well. And I hear that there's going to be another um, series of Mid-Morning Matters uh, coming out Sky Atlantic soon. So really looking forward Ooh. to that. That, that sounds very welcome indeed, because I actually think the Mid-Morning Matters is the best Alan Partridge stuff that we've had, because I think it, it builds on all of the stuff that's gone before, and I just think it's uh, it's really well observed. And, it's very, uh, very tight, isn't it? It's kind of super tight, yeah. Super tight. It's, it's kind of, you know, you don't have to worry about it. It's kind of all set in in the, his, his radio recording studio there at uh, North Norfolk Digital, whatever it's called now. And it's kind of, you know, he's kind of dealing with all the Twitter and Facebook. He's an, he's an anachronism, really, but trying to live in a 2017, he doesn't really, doesn't really fit. And that's part of the part of the comedy is his tragedy. And he's also at a low point in his career, which I always think is a much comedically much more interesting area to mill. Exactly. This is kind of like the desperation of him trying to, you know, once a big, big, uh, big cheese, big fromage. And uh, now he can't. Uh, no, he can't get he can't get arrested, you know. Well, given that we're spending quite a few minutes talking about a comedy that we both enjoy, uh, I think I'm afraid I'm going to have to steer us to uh, talking about some comedy that neither of us enjoy. No. And uh, I think it's time to get stuck into uh, Austin Powers and Goldmember. So let's see if Trailer Man can give us a brief synopsis of the plot. This summer, I am a sexy beast. Secrets will be revealed. Lower the globe. Lower the globe. Oh! Release the meteor. Oh! No way! Raise the bomb. <laughs> One of our best agents has been kidnapped. It's your father. An evil pact. Who has my father? The aptly named Gold Member. A dangerous mission. Where can I find this Gold Member? 1975. <laughs> It's gold, member! I am from Holland. Oh. Austin Powers in Goldmember is the third film in the Mike Myers Spy Spoo series. It came out in 2002 and followed on from Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery and The Spy Who Shagged Me. The plot, such as it is, sees our gap-toothed hero try to stop Dr. Evil flooding the world by crushing a meteor into the polar ice caps. To do this, the bald-headed megalomaniac plans to travel back in time to 1975 in order to capture a mad scientist, the titular gold member, who has the knowledge to perfect a tractor beam capable of pulling the giant asteroid into the Earth. In order to stop this dastardly plan, Powers teams up with a female blaxploitation caricature and his own father to save the day. Mike Myers is once again heading up the cast. This time he's joined by Beyonce, Michael Caine and the series' usual faces, Robert Wagner, uh, Michael York and Vern Troyer. The film seemed to divide critics on its release. The Washington Post said that the level of inventiveness remains high, while USA Today said that the film had more laughs than many comedies. But others complained about recycled gags, while others criticised it not only for being a rehash, but a smug rehash at that. Despite the question marks about the quality of the film, it performed well at the box office, making over $300 million worldwide, more than five times its budget. So, Dara, the first film came out 20 years ago. So what's your history with this series? And what did you make of Goldmember? Well, it, it really does date this film. I mean... For me, um, Austin Powers is very much a, a 90s time capsule. It's some something I, you know, when you asked me to kind of review this film, I hadn't seen an Austin Powers film probably since 2002 when this film came out. So what we're we talking like 15 years ago mm. It's much like 
you know, Britney Spears, Discman and Tamagotchis. This is sort of a <laughs> sort of an area which is best left in the past and it's been improved on as time goes on. The first Austin Powers film, I thought had a certain charm, you know, fish out of water type thing where they thaw out a 60s kind of uh, Lothario in 90s US, you know, and all kind of all the all the, his misbehaviors is funny because, you know, he's still living in the past and, you know, times have moved on. That bit has got a certain amount of uh, appeal. But this one, it's almost like they came up with the title of the film first and then worked a plot around it. You know, what kind of James Bond thing can we try and rip off? Oh, I know, gold. What's the most juvenile thing? Oh, gold member. Yeah, brilliant. Let's do that. And let's try and shoehorn some sort of plot in. And this film is just all over the place. They're supposed to be going back to the 70s. You know, that's the idea. Like in the 70s for literally about 20 minutes, trying to get hold of Goldmember, and then they bring him back to 2000s again. And it's just, it's just, just so amateurish. I, I just really, <laughs> the plot is t- absolutely terrible. The jokes, I don't really remember the jokes being, we were discussing this before, whether, I'm sure my, our humour hasn't evolved that much, but they're so basic. I mean, this is just, really juvenile, uh, lacking any sort of charm, sort of a pastiche of obviously Carry On Benny Hill, which was all right back in the 60s and 70s. It just doesn't wash anymore. It's just childish stuff. Well, I'm in a similar boat to yourself because I sort of remember liking these films back in the day. And, you know, I haven't watched this film for a long, long time. And I was expecting to enjoy it. And when I watched it, I, I was really shocked how deeply terrible this movie was i mean i i just watched it in kind of stony-faced horror yeah i mean the gags are awful i don't know what i was thinking of back in uh, 2002 when this film came out uh because it's just it... a, yeah, it's just dick jokes ass jokes fart jokes like the sort of thing that you think a fight like a fight a seven-year-old might laugh at this sort of stuff i wonder if it's like when you get old family photos out things are just as you remember them But the passage of time means that what you once thought was okay is now no longer acceptable. Like that outfit that you used to wear, it seemed all right back in the day. But like, oh, my God, what was I thinking of now? Fashions do change, I guess. But this doesn't hold up at all. And it's because I think the writing is really basic. And I don't think they've really sweated much on you know, honing jokes and things like that. You know, comedies from the 80s, tons of films that are hilarious, you know, and they still hold up. doesn't matter whether it's 70s, 80s, but this just is just poor. I think you've hit on it. It's because the humour here is so basic. The, the comedy that dates well from the 80s, the 70s or the 60s, the comedy that lasts, it, it lasts because it's very finely observed, whereas uh-huh. this is just very basic. It's very crude. And, you know, I, you were talking about it being a 90s time capsule. And I think it's exactly that. I think perhaps part of the reason this film got as well received as it did at the time was because the, I think the first film came out in the height of the Britpop era. Definitely. And in the UK, this sort of celebration pastiche of british culture from the 1960s it was you know it's just hitting the pop culture nerve exactly um, perfect timing the exactly. This original film was a perfect time perfectly timed this series had started off as a sort of send-up of British spy films from the 60s, most notably things like the James Bond films and the Harry Palmer films. But I got the sense here that, that Myers had really run out of gags and he was just kind of flogging a, a dead horse. I, I'm guessing from everything that you said, this film just didn't work for you. 
No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's that it's that sense of uh, you know just cashing in on a successful you know franchise and making one more. And as you said in your intro, this made an absolute ton of money because the first film was reasonably good. Second one sort of elaborated on it, and you know more money could be made. Let's try and hash out that they they they, they wrote five film uh, three films in five years because the first one came out in '97. This one came out in 2002. It's quite a quick turnaround to get three films written and produced and made and casted and everything so he just was getting in whilst the going was good but by the time this film came about he obviously said the well had run dry let's say and i think great evidence of the well running dry is the number of bizarre song and dance numbers there are within this film which really don't make any sense you know, there's one right at the beginning of the movie, mm. and then there's a gruesome song and dance uh, number later in the film in a prison. Where that's my of... that is my to, to interrupt you, Will. That is the worst sequence for me. I'm glad <laughs> you picked up on that. It's just so pointless and unnecessary, and just tacked on in the middle. Like you know, you're just filling five ten minutes of time with a sequence where they and um, take hard knock life by jay-z and you know perform it in a prison because they're uh, dr evil's in prison got caught and uh so they kind of obviously hard knock life that was quite popular at the time let's just take this song do a stupid little rap in in the middle of it just it it's the sort of thing you'd expect to see in like a, a weekly comedy on the TV where mm. they've had about five hours to rehearse. It's just awful and pointless and waste of time. There's also a lot of other padding in this film. And then at the beginning of the film is also some sort of bizarre cameo fest. So you have Britney turning up for a completely redundant cameo. And then you even have the great Quincy Jones turning up for a What's cameo. But... Because Mike Myers can't trust anyone to actually recognise Quincy Jones, uh, what he looks like, he has to sort of explain, hey, it's Quincy Jones. It's Quincy Jones, everybody. It really defeats the object of a cameo if you have to explain who the person doing the cameo is. You know what? That says a lot about this film. That For me, the best sequence of the film was the beginning. And I actually started to think, oh, he's actually doing, because I couldn't remember the film at all. He's doing something a little bit different, doing something clever. So the, for, for people who haven't seen it for a while, the idea at the beginning is kind of a film within a film. is a very meta way of doing things. And I thought potentially he could have made, if he'd made it like in like an integral part of the movie it would have been really clever so the beginning you think it's austin powers but it's not austin powers it's tom cruise playing austin powers and they're making a sort of biopic of austin powers's life and it's got oh god lo- loads of stars. yeah great spacey. kevin spacey and they're all repri- and danny devito playing mini me all reprising characters think well this is actually quite clever spielberg turns up to be the director and then they completely forget about that idea and then right at the end, they kind of touch on the fact that they're all in the cinema watching. It's completely like <laughs> someone had a good, that's the only good idea in the whole film. I'm inclined to agree with you. That whole sequence is uh, definitely the best thing in this movie. One of the things that isn't the best thing in the movie. And it's kind of a peril of these parody movies. They've run out of things within the genre of films which they're meant to be spoofing and so Mm -hmm. they then just sort of spoof any kind of topical cultural thing so there's a a completely pointless silence of the lambs parody in this film and you know just think oh for goodness sake yeah what you you, it's a bit like the scary movie series i think the scary movie the first one 
was quite clever and it was just doing horror movies and then as you say, exactly like this and you know, you, you bang on is is you kind of run out of ideas for that the, you know the usual tropes of the horror or the usual tropes for um, you know spy movies you've done it you've done everything to death what what else can we kind of spoof off of but that loses its kind of power you know it loses the interest you're just making fun of anything then it becomes less the, the the satirical element just becomes much much less because you're just taking the piss out of everything we're being pretty hard on the film so let's let's try and find some crumb of positivity here was there any part of this movie that you found genuinely amusing um uh i i, I did like the opening sequence and there is one of the best exploding helicopters in film which is quite an achievement, which we'll discuss a bit later. So you've got, so it's quite a grandiose opening. So Austin Powers skydives out of a plane into the Utah, all these red rocks in like a Zion National Park, and managed to hit his, uh, hit the Jaguar finds him, and it's got his star-studded at the beginning. It's got loads of cameos from people. That bit I found quite, quite interesting. Oh, what's this? You wouldn't expect to see Tom Cruise in a just doing a cameo is unusual. Obviously, they threw a lot of money at that sequence. and it's... It was kind of a pre-Tropic Thunder, Tropic Thunder yeah. for Tom Cruise, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's unusual to see big actors like that just appear in a film for a few minutes. Um, and that kind of is, is like a, quite impactful. So that, that the beginning, I kind of enjoyed. And then really, I, I, I watched this with my other half and we were kind of looking at each other <laughs> as some of the shows, just, as you say, stony face thinking... Really, is this? And like, I got, oh, I was like, oh god, I got another forty-five minutes of this to trawl through, and it, it doesn't get better. It kind of just goes, gets worse and worse and more convoluted. Yeah, I really did struggle with this one. Do you think this is the worst film that we've done? I, I'm thinking back to the interview, which was another spoof parody type movie. Do you think this yeah. is worse than the interview? Oh, it's, it's definitely worse than the interview. <laughs> Definitely worse. <laughs> I mean, the interview had a few. At least it was trying. It was location filming was quite interesting in that. There was a few elements that were decent. The jokes are similar in their lameness. I'm just trying to think if we've we've done some some horror shows. I think maybe some of the 80s action. Even the 80s action's got kind of that laughable charm. This film should know better, and it doesn't doesn't perform at all. And what did you think were the worst gags in this movie? I just got tired of the fart dick, you know, dick jokes and fart jokes. And what was it like? There was the bit where they were, there was two Japanese. Oh, yeah. We can't can't say their names on this. If I say, if I say in Japanese, then that's okay. So I'm laughing now. I'm laughing now, but it's awful. One was called Fook You, and the other one was called Fook Me. Now, we should, well, we should not be laughing. I'm laughing because I'm slightly delirious right now. That was, that might be one of the best gags or the worst gags. It's hard to say. Like, when I watched it, I went, really? Is he doing this joke? This is, this is really, this is really poor. This is like what I'd expect to see from like six formers doing like a, you know, an A-level review, some sort of silly joke mm. like this. Well, for me, I think the worst sequence is is one that we've already sort of touched upon is the Hard Luck Life prison dance sequel, oh, which was it was just inexcusably indulgent. And it just it goes on forever. 
Yeah, it's just not. I, I I picked this out as the worst sequence in the film as well, and it just it just isn't funny. Kind of pointless. It doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't bring you from anywhere. It doesn't take you from anywhere. So let's look at some of the performances in this movie, and we should probably start with Mike Myers as he plays four different roles in this film. Obviously, he's playing Austin Powers in Doctor Evil, but he also plays the uh, titular Gold Member and a character called uh, Fat Bastard. What did you make of his performances and comedy characters here? I think we're kind of done with this sort of stuff, aren't we? I mean, there, there was a there was a time when this was quite popular, wasn't it? It was like I mean, Eddie Murphy did it in uh, what was Eddie Murphy's one again? Oh, um, going Doctor... to America? No, no uh, the, good shout actually. Yeah, Eddie Murphy did, did it come into America? That was funny. That was that was funny. But then he did it again in is it Doctor Doolittle? Maybe. Yep. Less All funny. The, the fat suit comedy era. Yeah, what was the, yeah, the fat suit comedy and which reached its nadir, I think, <laughs> it, and Big Mama's house. So <laughs> I think with Martin Lawrence. So that is that we that was a thing. Is we're done with that thing, and this is just it's just not funny. It's, it could be funny if you had a funny script, but just having someone dress up in a fat suit isn't funny on its own. And there's one bit in it where Austin Powers is in a is trying to hide from uh, they're in like a Japanese sauna and there's all these uh, sumo wrestlers who are taking off their jock straps and throwing them in this in a little basket where he's hiding and then the jock straps on his face and that's really funny like you know it's just uh, it's just so I, I didn't find I didn't find uh, the gold member character I suppose it was a bit it was a kind of bizarre bit weird obviously well you know what struck me was this just seemed like the gold member and the fat bastard characters it just struck me that these were the only impressions that mike myers had left after (laughs) the first two movies was that hey i can do some sort of approximation of a scottish accent and i can do something that could possibly be a dutch accent which is just basically speaking with a lisp like steve mclaren did when he was manager yeah exactly but but worse to be fair to, to mike myers like through the first film, he did. He has managed to create quite recognisable characters, that Doctor Evil, one million dollars thing, and you know, good, you've done it. But then it's it's kind of a one joke thing. It's almost like that film should have just mm. been one film, finished with it. And obviously, he's got to he's got to try and flesh out his uh, universe. Do you know what struck me watching this film, and the reason why it potentially no longer works anymore? And basically, the thought flitted into my mind that the reason this film no longer works anymore is because of jimmy savile because this type of leering sexual predator but it's all a joke thing has now been revealed to actually be you know what these guys weren't they weren't a laugh they weren't funny they were actually using this as a mask for some pretty despicable behavior yeah you know what it's not a bad not a bad show i don't know whether subconscious i mean i wasn't actively thinking about that when i thought this was very unfunny maybe with a slightly funnier script they might have got away with it but yeah we don't this just this kind of stuff i suppose it's like watching benny hill now you see it for what it is it's kind of a bit embarrassing and you know i you know <laughs> i don't mind i don't mind uh, some uh, slight sexism and racism when it's done in a funny way <laughs> and i mean racism <laughs> you know just kind of not not racism to be nasty but kind of picking up on you know the differences between the nice cultures type of racism the nice type of race. everyone's familiar with that um <laughs> I've got no problem with that, and I've got no problem with, you know, sort of singling out uh, individuals if there's something funny to be mined from it. But not just, you know, I could 
do You're something in favour sex- of friendly discrimination, aren't you? Friendly discrimination with, with a smile a, on his face. A smile on his face and a bit of thought behind it. Fair enough. Well, let's um, talk about some of the other actors in this movie. So as Austin Powers' sidekick, we've got Beyonce as uh, Foxy Cleopatra and Michael Caine as Austin's dad and fellow secret agent Nigel Powers. Now, I don't know what you thought, but I couldn't help but enjoy their performances a lot more than Mike Myers. Yeah, it's funny, actually. I mean, bless Beyonce does, <laughs> doesn't do a bad job. With literally She's the zero. star of the film. She, she's working with crumbs, literally. There's <laughs> hardly any sort of decent lines that she gets, but she's still quite charismatic. It does help that she's extremely attractive in this film. She really peps up every scene that she's in. Yeah, and she obviously she's doing that Foxy Cleopatra black exploitation chick thing. She does it quite well. She does. It, she has a bit of a song at the beginning. You know, bless her. She does well with meager rations. Michael Caine, I actually thought it was a good bit of casting. Obviously, with his, you know, his associations with the '60s, it was a good, good bit of casting to get him as the dad. I was just trying to look to see whether he was going through a fallow period around this time, and he'd actually just come off of Cider House Rules, where mm. he, I think he got nominated for an Oscar. So he actually was going through a quite. This is his renaissance, I guess you could say. I mean, this was a. He didn't have a lot to go on either in this film, but he. Yeah, he's got that charm. Even with terrible turds of lines the script has got to deal with, managed to wring out some sort of uh, humour and sort of a, a pleasant, you know, the nice the kind of good qualities that Michael Caine has got. And um, it's been sort of 15 years since Goldmember came out and Michael Myers has recently spoken of wanting to make a fourth film. Can you summon any enthusiasm for this project? Well, if you if you and me Will, were Hollywood producers, this would not get greenlit, would it? I mean, I was just thinking about the possibilities of that. I mean, so yeah, since 2005, they've been chatting about and there's various different sort of excuses, veiled excuses by different uh, people who've been associated with the project about yeah, it's still being written and the original director saying actually the original director had the cheek to say if I'm I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, I'm sure a fourth could get made if Mike comes up with a decent script. Maybe that's kind of a veiled <laughs> veiled dig at the fact that this was so awful. Well, I it mean, didn't stop them making films two and three, the absence of a decent script. So Yeah, uh... I guess. I mean, but who's going to want to watch this 90s time capsule now? I mean, it's about as welcome as a Limp Biscuit reunion, I think. Well, uh, I think Limp Biscuit are actually out on tour. Well, there you go. That goes to show there's, you know, what do I know about anything? Interesting random fact. Do you know who the director of these films is married to? Telly Savalas? I don't know who. Uh, he is married to uh, Susanna Hoffs out of The Bangles. Are you serious? I am way serious. Wowzers. What does this guy look like? Susanna Hoffs was one hot piece of ass to coin the vernacular of Austin Powers. Susanna Hoffs is actually in this film, isn't she? She's is she? One of, yeah, she is in the band that perform in the club scene in the you know in his shag palace ah. at the beginning. She is actually in the band. I think she's the guitarist. I uh, would go back and, but it would mean watching this film again. So don't, I, don't take it take it from me. I, I looked at Wikipedia. Also, I listened to. There's a song right in the end credits. And I was thinking, oh, that's quite. I've recognised that voice, and that's Susanna Hoffs as well. So maybe they were an item before this film got mm. made i'm thinking almost definitely good stat that's an excellent stat okay well let's get into the heart of the reason we're doing this podcast the explaining helicopter we're going to take a quick break and for the sake of a good chopper fireball don't go away 
Jordan, what? I want to watch a movie. I, I want to play some fucking tunes. I want to watch a movie. I want to play tunes. Movie. Music. Movie. Music. Movie. Music. All right, fine, fine, fine. How about this? We will watch a movie, all right? Okay. Talk about that movie, and then we will listen to the soundtrack that went with that movie, and then talk about that as well. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So join us every episode on Screen Tracks. You can check us out on iTunes. Go to our site, uh, ScreenTracks.net. That's uh, Screen C S C R E E N T R A X dot net. Uh, join us for every episode. We hope you can join us, and we'll have a lot of fun. All right. Yes, we will. All right. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. For that, we need to rewind to the opening scene of the film. It begins with what looks like an over-the-top action sequence. In reality, it's a fake trailer for Austin Pussy, a pretend Austin Powers biopic directed by Steven Spielberg. It's a great moment of self-parody, with some brief but hilarious cameos from Tom Cruise as Powers, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pal's girlfriend Dixie Normus, Kevin Spacey as Dr. Evil, and Danny DeVito as Mini-Me. As part of the sequence, we see a helicopter in pursuit of the motorbike riding Dixie. Powers skydives out of a plane into his car, the Shaguar, in order to take care of the chopper and save Dixie. Powers lines up the Shaguar to charge at the onrushing chopper and then, as it nears, launches into an acrobatic somersault, clearing the chopper and enabling him to fire at the bearded pilot, causing the helicopter to burst into flames. Powers casually lands on the road by the rubble before Cruz removes the glasses and utters the franchise catchphrase, yeah baby. Dara, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? Unfortunately, this sets very high expectations for the film. It comes right at the beginning, and it is a really good sequence, as I mentioned. It's my sort of the top sequence in the film for me. And obviously, the kind of slow motion shot of Austin Powers somersaulting through the air over the chopper, it's kind of just above uh, road height, and firing his Uzis kind of upside down at a pilot who's kind of staring up at him, kind of amazed what's going on, and downing the chopper. And it was It's a fantastic scene. And you get the payoff with Tom Cruise that kind of taking off the shades or putting on the shades at the end and delivering the line. It's a really, really good scene. Chopper Fireball is excellent. It's a proper meaty explosion. No CGI as far as I could see. You don't get the kind of debris crashing to the floor, but you, you can see debris on the floor when Austin Powers kind of, you know, lands from his, his mega somersault. It's a superb uh, scene and kind of totally out of place in this film. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it is a uh, fabulous sequence. It obviously challenges the laws of physics in the way that uh, Austin Powers somersaults out of the car over the helicopter. But frankly, who cares? Because it's all about the artistry of the exploding helicopter. And yeah, he gets to uh, destroy the helicopter by firing a twin pair of Uzis at it, which is a, a pretty cool piece of weaponry. I love guns. I wish we had guns in the UK. And I wish I could <laughs> uh, fire... Hang on, hang on, hang on. What? I, I wish we had guns in the UK and I wish I could fire my guns at a helicopter and blow them up. You know, it's what I want to do. The helicopter in question is a Bell AH-1 uh, Cobra gunship. I should mention that for uh, helicopter fans. But yeah, I quite liked the uh, the choice of pilot for the enemy helicopter because uh, it was kind of like an older gentleman. He was wearing uh, reflective sunglasses and he yeah. had a beard as well. So it kind of gave him a kind of cool villainous look. I don't know if you liked that as well. 
Uh, yeah, he, he seemed a little bit podgy for your usual kind of steely-eyed helicopter pilot. He looked like he'd uh, he was a little bit uh, like a renter pilot. Yeah, I was a bit sad that he died actually. I like I like my if they're gonna die, I want them to look kind of nasty so you don't mourn their passing. But I kind of felt a bit sorry when this guy died. He seemed like seemed like he could be quite a nice man. Well, you know, what's the problem? The pilot of that helicopter, though, did remind me of the villainous helicopter pilot who is. Uh, uh, Nicholas Cage's opponent in the Exploding Helicopter classic Firebirds Wings of the Apache. Now, I know you haven't seen that movie, but uh, I don't know if this was a kind of subtle sort of nod towards uh, that film. It's, maybe it's just that same helicopter pilot just cameoing in all these films that's, that's making you think it's the same, the different person. But as terrible as this movie is, I think we have to celebrate the fact that it does give us the sight of somebody somersaulting over a helicopter and machine gunning it into oblivion. That's something we've never seen before. It's a totally unique sight in the world of exploding helicopters. Exactly. We've got to be we've got to be let's end on a positive. I mean, that is that is a lovely it's an enduring image. A man arcing his way in slow motion in the sky. (laughs) And, you know, k- killing another human. It's the sort of thing we, we need to uh, pass on to future generations. We all dream of arcing slowly over a helicopter and machine gunning another human being to death. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's the times we live in, Will. Those are the thoughts that are going to send me to sleep tonight. I don't know about you, Dara. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how, that's how I get my, uh, my, my sound asleep, just by killing my, my fellow co-workers. <laughs> And on that homicidal note, I think we are going to uh, wrap up this particular episode of Exploding Helicopter. Dara, thanks for uh, joining me uh, once again. Do you have any words you want to leave the listeners with? Do something productive with your lives and don't petition for any more sequels for this franchise. Thank you. I thought you were going to say don't petition for any more episodes of the Exploding Helicopter podcast. <laughs> you can do, do that as well. You can do that as well. Call call your MP, call your senator, you know. Stop this uh, madness. Stop this madness. I don't I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to be here. I can't deal with these films anymore. As always, I'd like to point you in the direction of the Exploding Helicopter website, which you can find at explodinghelicopter.com, where we try to amuse you with our reviews of films with uh, helicopter explosions in them. We'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. It's awesome, Bob! You're so funny. Yeah, you know. Awesome, very sexy fun. Can I have autograph? Of course! Your name is? Fukumi. Oh, behave, baby. (laughs) Yes! Now, your name is? Fukumi. You kiss your mother with that mouth? <laughs> Fuck me! Like this! Oh, I see! Your name is Fuck me! <laughs> you want to drink? Yes, of course. But you know, I, I, I have a private bar in the back that you're more than welcome to Here use. Here you go! But 
Fuck me, that was fast. Fuck you. Oh, you're going the right way for a smack bottom, and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> Austin. This is my twin sister. Her name, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck me. See? <laughs> 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 <laughs>